All right, everyone, welcome back to episode nine of the Strength Institute podcast. Today we have Chris Hines from Chris Hines Personal Training with us, a friend of mine, also someone I've known for the last decade. Um, yeah. We actually worked together at my first job at a personal training studio, and since then we've both gone on to do our own things, open our own businesses, and yeah. uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. Literally pumped to be here. Like I think I said to you before, this setup is kind of like my dream setup. Um, yeah, so we've known each other for about 10 years, and this is... This is like wicked, man. It's good to see that you've kind of got to where you have, um, because I think we both kind of shoot from the same kind of place. You know, we both Cut have from the this, same cloth. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's absolutely. it. So we have um, very similar mindset, very similar training tactics and ethos, I guess, behind training. So this is wicked, man. It's good to see you've done so well. Oh, thanks very much, man. I appreciate yeah, for sure, it. Man. So uh, just for people listening, can you give a bit of a, a brief rundown on how you got into the fitness industry and what yep. you've been doing over the last sort of 10, 13 years of being a PT? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for me, it was from, from a pretty early age, like um, I'm 33 now, I started when I was 20. Um, so my previous background was mostly just with um, football, you guys call it soccer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I played soccer from a very young age. That kind of got me into the gym. Um, and then I thought, man, this is, this is something I love. I just love the training aspect of it. I love just learning about it, learn the nutrition, the, the actual training itself. Um, so yeah, I was just always pumped to, to get involved in, in exercise and training. So I guess I went through you know, normal procedures, um, studied for about two to three years, um, and then from there I moved into the actual fitness and personal training side of it. Um, and I've been doing that, like I said, for about 13 years now. It's all I've ever kind of known. So yeah, it's yeah. wicked, man. I just absolutely love it. Fair enough. And, and, and how long ago did you <clears throat> branch out and start your own business? Um, so in the UK, I started out when I was 20. Um, then I took a two-year break where we traveled, me and my wife traveled. Um, and then when I landed in Australia, then I was employed, obviously, for like visa reasons. Um, and that's, that's actually where I met you when I was working for Renif. Yeah. Um, so I worked with Renif, I think that must have been about five or six years. And then pretty much as soon as I got my permanent residency, um, the visa issues kind of cleared, then I could set up my own business and, and kind of go out. So I've been doing that now for about six Probably about six years. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I think I started, oh, well, I know I started my business at the uh, start of 2014. Yep. And uh, out of the side of the house, a little addition, and yep. slowly built up the clientele to be able to open up this gym. And it takes yep. a little bit of uh, time. Yeah, it and, takes, uh, it's quite a lot of work, man. I think, and that's that's a good point. I think a lot of people get into the industry and they don't realize there's a lot to it. Like, you got to put a lot of hours in. They, they look at somebody like yourself who's already established the business, but they don't see you know, the four or five, six years of work that you put into that before you get to this point, they just see this and they think, oh yeah, let's do it. Um, but yeah, like you say, there's so many hours and so much work that goes into it. Yeah, and I'm constantly learning as well. Um, I'm sure you found <clears throat> the same thing, but I'm mm. learning all about accounting. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, bookkeeping, <laughs> all these things that, uh, that, that have been uh, completely foreign to me uh, yep. before this. Yeah. Yep. yeah, for sure. So that's, um, you know, I work, I actually work part of one of my other jobs is working for Trainers WA. Um, so it's a company set up to pretty much just educate personal trainers in how to upskill themselves practically, but also how to run the back end of a business. Okay, so like you say, you know, you've got the accounting, you've got how to manage your clients, you've got um, you know marketing, all that kind of stuff that people just don't realize. You're actually a business. It's not just getting on the gym floor and knowing cool exercises and how to train people. Um, you've got to learn the actual backgrounds of the business and know how to run and sell and market yourself. Um, and like you say, it's, it's something you just learn as you go, but um, that's something that we with Trainers WA kind of help the, help the junior PTs with. Um, so they get the Cert 3 and 4 course, they come to us, and then we just kind of upskill them in their business and practical skills as well. Yeah, that's really handy. Um, mm. I didn't go uh, a route like that when I <clears throat> decided it was, uh, I came back from the States, I was going to and from playing a bit of rugby, and then when I was over here, I was playing yep. rugby and working, and, yep. and for about a year and a half, two years doing that, yep. and I was like, all right, I'm going to come back, I'm going to you know, sort myself out, and yeah, the yeah. boss from the old job was like, all right, we'll get you in here full time, and he sort of yep. told me what I'd be on yearly, I said, I'm not going to work for, yeah. I'm going to work for myself here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so I didn't really know anything about business at the time. So yep. I actually went back yeah, yeah. to uni and did my um, MBA oh, cool. to learn how to at least get a bit more of an insight into it. Yep. Um, but I think practical hands-on work here, yep. I, I've actually learned a lot more than what I did. I think it definitely yeah, helped. Yeah, 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 for uh, sure. But yeah, yeah, learn a lot. How did you um, get into Trainers <clears throat> WA? Yeah, so um, I think I've been with them for close to a year now. The guy, um, the guy Terry that runs the company, he was, he was running workshops out of the gym that I'm working in in Bentley, um, yep. which is Genesis Fitness. Sure. Um, so I was down there, he just walked in one day, he was kind of in the gym, we had a bit of a chat, um, and then he said to me, you know, are you interested in kind of seeing what we do? So I got involved, 
And man, it's, it's like literally what I want to do is just kind of give back to the industry and help with, um, you know, I've got 13 years worth of experience. So I want to kind of help some of the junior kids that are coming through and help upskill them and teach them the pitfalls of, you know, the, the ways that I went wrong. Um, because like you said, like, you know, 10, 13, 14 years ago, I didn't have that kind of advice and support network. The internet wasn't such a big thing. There wasn't, um, the information wasn't really readily available the way it is today. Right. Um, so I think I want to just kind of, I made a lot of mistakes through those 13 years. Um, you know, got to the point now where I feel I'm running a pretty successful business. Um, so I want to be able to kind of pass on some of the knowledge that I have to those kids to help them so they don't have to make the same mistakes. Um, and it's just a, it's just an awesome platform that he has. So we run workshops on nutrition, on practical skills, um, business skills, all that kind of stuff. It's a 30 week course. Um, and yeah, it's, it's wicked, man. It's a really good product. Nice one. Yeah. Nice one. That's really cool. That's good that there's uh, something out there for people that are getting into it that have no yeah. idea about that sort of back end of the business. That's it. It's, yeah. it's very cool because like I say, I made all those mistakes. I'm sure you did as well. Um, we just, there was nobody around to tell us back then. It was just kind of learn and make mistakes and learn from your mistakes. And go to bodybuilding.com. That's it. <laughs> you mean you still, you still don't do that? No, 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 not anymore. Not anymore. Write my own articles now. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, fair enough. So, uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about when it comes to training. Like you've mentioned yep. a few things, you know, apart from the business and you've got nutrition. Yeah. Um, that's a big one. So I feel today's a bit more of a... Um, open format, not quite as yep. big a structure as some other podcast. Mm. So let's get into some of the, the things that, um, that that you like to teach people about. So yep, nutrition, sure. that's a huge one when it comes to personal training. Yep, um, and I'm sure if you're a trainer out there and you're listening to this, you'd have the same experience where people, you know, I want to get in here, I want to lose some body fat. Yep. And they train really, really hard, but they're not shifting any weight on the scales. And they're, yep. they're getting more muscle, but the fat's staying there. Yep. And they might be getting frustrated and what we're doing wrong. And, and really, when it comes down to losing body fat, yep. and you don't want to scare your clients away from the gym, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so important mm. to have good nutrition. And oh, I always tell my clients as well as if you have um, okay nutrition and you work mm. hard, your results will be okay. If you have yep. fantastic nutrition, then your results should be fantastic. And that's yep. that's something that people really need to, um, to learn. And I think there is more of an emphasis on nutrition, um, especially over the last handful of years. Um, mm. And uh, But there's so many conflicting theories, yep. um, anything from fad diets or, or just you know, maybe lifestyle changes in how people eat. What do you, what, I guess, um, theory do you follow if, if you do follow one at all? Yep. Or do you think there's a few that work? Or, or what sort of your guidelines that you give out to people when you're talking about nutrition? Yeah, it's a, it's a real gray area. I think a lot of people get very, um, you know, they get very tied up to a model. And that is for them, that is the be all and end all. You know, somebody gets results with ketogenic diet and they think right okay ketogenic, ketogenic diet is like the big thing this is this is the only thing you got to do to get results um but really i think it just boils down to compliance at the end of the day so if if you can be compliant on a ketogenic style diet and you're functioning well your training is going well then that may be the best protocol for you so generally my personal ethos is i'm a big fan of flexible dieting so um knowing that you've got a calorie budget you've got to stay within that calorie budget um as long as you keep your protein requirements um adequate to sustain the, the training style that you do, um, then find out what works best for you in terms of carbohydrates um, and fats. So some people perform better on a high carb diet, some people perform better on a low carb diet. So for me personally, it's just working with the client. I'll usually set them kind of, you know, a set calorie figure, um, and then we'll go like a, a mid-range macro split. So something that's pretty generalized and standardized. Um, and then massage them a little bit towards the direction that they feel more comfortable with. So like I say, you have some people that respond better to higher carbs. So we'll say, right, okay, let's maybe start to introduce a slightly higher carb approach. Let's monitor that, see how you, how you perform, how you sleep, how you recover from your sessions. If it's not great, then let's pull it back and maybe let's try the other direction and go slightly higher fat diet and see how you respond with that. Um, so I'm not really one for, you know, fads. Like I don't push ketogenic towards anybody. I don't push paleo towards anybody. Um, it's more about, for me, it's striking that balance and understanding that you, should, you don't need to restrict foods. Um, you just need to find what works best for your body. And the best way to do that is start off, if your goal is fat loss, create that calorie deficit first, um, eat an adequate amount of protein, and then massage your carbs and fats based on how you feel and how your performance in the gym is. Because personally, for me, fat loss is great, but I always try to push performance towards clients rather than fat loss. I personally feel if you're, and I'm pretty sure you're the same, if you're performing better in the gym, you're getting stronger, you're getting fitter, the results are going to come, um, you know, providing you're not eating garbage. Yeah. Um, you need to control your food, of course, 
Um, but my thing with most of my clients is strive for performance and let the you know let the physique and the weight loss happen as a result of the performance. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good yeah. advice. Cool. And, and I think you touched on it there as well with um, <clears throat> adherence. And I know I've talked about it in, in past podcasts and on yeah. some of the articles that I've written is that um, if you don't stick to the plan, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Have it. <laughs> it doesn't it's matter. really all about um, putting <clears throat> in consistent work yeah. uh, uh, over a long period of time. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's so you, you actually mentioned a few things there. So flexible dieting, um, sort of like if it fits your macros type of type of deal. Kind, kind of. I don't. The whole if it fits your macros thing, I think it gets quite a bad press because D- donuts. And pe- yeah, that's yeah. People abuse it like if you do it properly um then great you know it's it's not about eating pop tarts and donuts and posting it on your instagram to justify that you can eat this it's like having the flexibility in your diet where you should still be eating 80 to 85 percent whole foods you need to get good nutrition into your body but you don't need to restrict yourself okay so you can still have a glass of wine at the weekend you can still go out for a meal with your family um you know if you want to have a donut a burger or whatever you can have that but you just got to understand that everything has a value and, you know, there's, they have a, a high value in terms of calories. They don't really give a good nutritional return. Yeah. Okay. So it's really just about making sure that you still have a very nutrient dense diet, but having the flexibility to step off the gas every now and again and have a glass of wine if you want to just keep it within, you know, your calorie budget um, rather than being like completely restrictive and saying, right, okay, for the next 12 weeks, you're not allowed to have wine. You're not allowed to have chocolate. You're not allowed to have crisps because you know yourself, never works you can maybe do it for four weeks six weeks and then all you want to do is just have that one thing so just not being restrictive having that flexibility to say look i understand that i can have these things but i've got to make sure that it's it's kept within check and the 80 80 ish percent of your diet is good wholesome nutrition foods yeah no that's good that's great advice Mm. um and and so you're a big proponent of you want to lose uh body fat it's calorie deficit based yeah definitely yeah yeah for sure so and and that's funny as well have you looked more into sort of the metabolic things that are going on if you were to uh let's say keep the same number of calories that you were normally eating if you're maintaining a certain weight yep um but maybe change the types of foods that you're having so i've read into some things where if you are really overstressing your liver that is uh, meant to be running your metabolism and yep. you're carrying more inflammation in the body. This is where I think a lot of the things like kids are going, oh, we're going to reduce the inflammation and everything yes. like this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can make you function at a better, you moderate your temperature better, yep. you can burn calories easier. Yep. Um, have you looked into any of that sort of information or is it just, Not- just pretty strict down the line, hey, just calories in calories out there is there's definitely more to it than calories in so you've obviously got like the thermic effects of food themselves as well so some some foods require more energy to break them down um and examples that you've given as well i'm not not overly versed in that my i know enough to get by with nutrition i wouldn't go into that kind of rabbit hole because i don't want to try to pretend to know something i don't um so yeah for me it's it's at that point if it's getting to a point where it's tricky i generally just kind of outsource um, and give them to somebody that is more, a little bit more versed as a nutritionist or whatever to kind of handball that off. Yeah. Um, for me, um, yeah, it's, it's, I try to create that calorie deficit, work with them in the, in the macro split to make sure that everything is you know, working the way it should. If there is issues and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be happening the way it should be, yeah. um, then at that point I would probably just refer them out to a nutritionist with, nutritionist, sorry, with a better depth of knowledge. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, now, when you're saying uh, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you're getting their protein requirements in, yep. right? Uh, and I guess this is um, probably a thing that's gone on for quite a while yep. is that people will over um, prescribe how many, uh, how much protein someone should be having. Yeah, for right? sure. So in your opinion, and again, not as a nutritionist expert, but yep, as someone course. that's had a long time of experience in the uh, industry, yep. uh, what would you recommend to the average gym goer? You know, if you're looking at a normal general population person that's come to you, yep. how many grams of protein are we talking here? Okay, so I've got a bit of a, a kind of buffer zone, I guess. So depending on the intensity of the person's training, how frequently they're going to be training, um, and their current condition as well. So obviously if you get somebody like yourself, um, stronger, bigger guy that's training five, six days per week, you're going to be in the upper end of the kind of limit versus, you know, middle-aged mom who comes in three times a week, does a full body session with the average intensity. You're going to have quite a difference in terms of the, the protein requirement that you both need. Um, so my upper end of the limit would probably be about two and a half grams per kilo. Yep. Um, and the lower end of the limit would probably be down to about maybe 1.5, 1.5 grams per kilo of body weight. Yeah. Um, that's generally the buffer zone. Now, I know there are studies out there to say that you can definitely go upwards of 2.5 grams per kilo without any detrimental effects. Um, I, I haven't really ever seen the need to go above 2.5. No. Um, I've tried it. I haven't got any more benefit from it personally. Um, so generally 1.5 grams to 2.5 grams um, or anywhere kind of in between, depending on 
the frequency and intensity of the actual training itself. That's it. And that's yeah. one thing that I've, that I've noticed as well when trying to get some um, nutrition guidelines up for clients is yeah. that if you try to push the protein too high, unless yeah. they're having just protein powder, it's, uh, it's really hard to do. Difficult. What's going to yeah, happen yeah. is you're going to they're going to eat more meat. You're going to jack up the fats that are coming from the meat. You're going to yeah. jack up the total calorie count. Yeah, for and sure. uh, we're throwing everything out the door anyhow. So yeah, um, yeah it is a, it is <clears> one that you, uh, I think is you don't need quite as much as, as people have thought in the past. You yeah, know, for yeah, sure. To get by. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's good. I, I do something similar as well. Um, I usually will start my clients uh, usually on the slightly lower end of the carbohydrate scale. And you yep. said there's a scale that slides up and down. Um, yep. We use the same sort of thing. For sure. I'll um, try to get the protein in first, depending on how much work they're doing. Yep. Um, and then I try to start them at the lower end, usually because uh, if people have bad nutrition, they're used to eating a lot of sugary things, yes. uh, which are very high in carbohydrates, right? So yep. they usually have a lot. And just knocking it down a bit, yep. um, they might start losing quite a bit of weight pretty, yep. pretty quickly. Um, but then, you know, it is performance-based. So yes. yeah, yeah. we'll say, all right, after two weeks, are you hungry? Are you satiated? Do you want it? Are you, are you craving food? Yep. Do you have enough energy to get through your workouts? Yep. Um, do you feel like you're recovering after your workouts? Yeah, yeah. And and then and then if they're not, then we can slowly sort of increase that back up. Yep. I wouldn't call it a um uh, like a restrictive diet. I mean, we're just lowering yep. those start that starting point. But yep. yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's very like um it's like most things, man. As long as as long as you're monitoring and tracking everything, um, and you've got the data there to support it, and you can say right, okay, how does your mood feel? based on the input that you've given over the last two weeks, um, then you can say, right, okay, let's let's start to make whatever adjustments we need. So yeah, if you're not recovering properly, we know there's an issue, okay? Um, if you've got the data there, you can say, right, okay, we know that this protocol isn't good for you, so this is not what we're gonna do. Let's try to shift it for two weeks. Um, let's see what kind of impact that has. Um, and then again, you can just slowly mash those in you know, higher carbs, lower carbs, whatever it may be, um, and just go by the feedback that they give you. So like, you know, tracking is, you'll know this from your training yourself, tracking is definitely one of the most important things you've got to do. You've got to keep notes, nutrition, mood, sleep patterns, training, all of that kind of stuff just kind of comes together for the whole overall performance perspective of it. Because with fat loss, you know, from a strictly fat loss point of view, performance doesn't really matter, but you've got to take into consideration people don't train just for fat loss. Right. So they train to get better at squatting or they train to get better at, um, you know, fitness times or whatever it is that their goal may be. So you've got to take the whole kind of bigger picture into it. So it's not just about strictly fat loss. So you want that person to feel good while they train so that they can improve their performance in the gym. So yeah, like you say, just monitor and track everything um, and then make the adjustments as you need to. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Perfect. What else do you find is really important uh, for clients? I mean, when you first, when they first come in to see you, mm. do you put them through some sort of screening? Do you just ask them their goals? Like how, yep. do, you, um, how do you start with a client? Yeah, so I think, you know, over, over time you learn systems and, you, you, you know, your business has its own procedures after a while. Um, but, yeah, for me, a huge thing is obviously the screening process is I do like a training screening process and then a movement screening process. Um, so I'll never write a program for somebody until I know how they move. Um, yeah. I think you're doing a big disservice to your client if you're just training them without knowing what their dysfunctions are because essentially if they've got a movement dysfunction or they can't... Um, you know, they're going to be an imbalance in strength somewhere. That's going to, you're going to run into a roadblock at some time in the training. So they'll get to a certain point and then they're going to plateau because of that weakness or that movement um, problem that they have. So generally what I do with clients is we, their first, usually like the first three to four weeks of training is more like an assessment kind of period. So they come on board, um, we'll run through a movement screening session first. So I'll kind of test joint by joint where their imbalances and strength and weaknesses are. Um, and then from that position, I can kind of get a good profile of, um, you know, movement, movement capacity, I guess. So we can say, right, okay, maybe your ankle needs a little bit of work. Um, these are the exercises over the next six, eight, 10, 12 weeks that I want you to try to try to work on to improve that ankle or to improve that knee or the hip or the back of the shoulder. Um, so once we get that movement screening process done, at that point, then I'll look at the training history and we'll say, okay, so your goal is this, what is the kind of training background that you've had? So, you know, if it's somebody that's came from like a high volume sport like CrossFit, um, and they want to move into more of a powerlifting kind of style, so you know that they can handle quite a lot of um, high volume work. Okay, so you can program appropriately for that person. Um, so yeah, I guess it's just a, a couple of screens that I do with their training background and then the movement um, background, and then from that point, then I can put them onto a structured program. I think you actually um, instigated a uh, movement screening back at Renoff about 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Again, so yeah. It, it's funny because it, was, it wasn't really ever done. Well, I didn't know that it wasn't done here um, or definitely with Renoff and there wasn't a lot of places around Perth either at the time. Um, but I think 
I came over with a qualification from the UK. Um, it was actually an American company, NASM, I think at the time. Um, so they took us through like a movement screening process and how to, you know, how to assess people's uh, movements and what, what should be a passable criteria. Um, so I, I brought that over to Renif and yeah, they, they started running that kind of thing. I'm not sure if they still do it or not, but um, yeah, it just it gives you a better understanding of what your client's body's capable of. So, you know, if you work with somebody and they've got like super tight hamstrings and you program them deadlifts, you're obviously asking for trouble on the lower back. So just things like that where you can take a step-by-step -step systematic approach to look at that client and say, this is, these are your areas that you need to work on over the next X amount of weeks. And then these are the exercises that you need to perform as either your warm-ups or, you know, on your off days, you just need to be stretching and activating these certain muscle groups um, so that, <coughs> excuse me, um, so that it has a positive effect on your training when you come in that day. So um, there's some exercises that I just don't program for clients because they've maybe failed pretty badly on the screen. So as much as I want my clients to deadlift, as much as I want them to barbell back squat, um, especially gem pop clients, you know yourself, you're working with gem pop, it's, you're only gonna get a small percentage of your gem pop clients that can actually move properly if you're stuck at a desk all day, um, you know, just general bad rounded posture. Um, it's going to restrict what you can do with that person. So you need to have some, I feel anyway, you should have some sort of screening process in place that you can say, right, okay, you can do these exercises safely, but you can't do these exercises safely. So let's work on a protocol that allows you to eventually do all of these exercises and then you can program that into their into the routine. Right, Excuse right. Me, routine. No, that's, yeah, good. Yeah. I guess I do something a bit similar. I don't go through a set specific uh, sort of movement screening. Yep. Um, when they first come in, I'll uh, look through sort of injury history is yep. the big one with me because yep. that usually is going to give you some good insight as sure. to what might not be working right. Yep. Um, sure. I ask them sort of then what their goals are going to be, what they want to achieve. Yep. Uh, and then from there, um, we have a pretty good idea about what they want um, issues that they've had before and we yep. can sort of plan out a program and then as they're going through it's pretty evident um, <clears throat> what, what's not working and I yes. think you touched on it as well one of the big ones <clears throat> that I get is shoulder mobility yep um, where they they, uh, they can't get their arms back enough yep. to grab onto the bar when they squat and it puts them to a really weird position that's yes. one yep. um, also that that Shoulder, those shoulder issues um, make their bench press struggle. They, yep. they get shoulder pain when they bench press. Yep. Um, obviously, uh, people that aren't used to being able to um, tip their hips back and forth yep. struggle with deadlift, get around their back when they deadlift. So yep. there are some pretty um, key ones. I guess a bit more for my um, clients that are a bit more strength focused, yep. um, I like to put them through sort of the big four, right? We, we have yep. our squat, bench, deadlift, yep. and then I like to put them in through an overhead press as well. Yep. And cool. that um, can sort of see that sort of shoulder health and shoulder strength and mobility as well. Yep. Um, and it's, it's amazing how many times uh, people don't actually have anything wrong with them, especially yep. the ones that, that are coming from athletic backgrounds and they, they just want to get a lot stronger. Yep. Like, I just can't, you know, I can't hit depth in my squat. And, mm. and usually it's more of a movement, um, a kinetic chain issue. Yep. They're not doing something in the right order yep. and then they can't get down. Um, yep. I'm sure you see that all the time as well. Um, yep. People, if they're trying to squat without getting the hips back at all, if they don't have that good mobility in the ankles, they just can't get the knees any further forward and yep. they sort of stuck there in the, in, in the ether of, yep. of their squat. Sure. So um, yeah, so I, I, I like to sort of get people to go through as they would yep. and then correct and coach. And then um, and that's quite good because then they, they see how they would do it normally. Mm. I'm not just telling them to do different things. Yep. And then we sort of correct it as they're going yep. um, per lift and they can actually see the difference. Oh, I'm getting down yep. 30 centimeters lower. You know, I'm going all the Perfect. way down to the ground now. So that's a good, a good visual thing for them to actually experience as well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that I like to do with clients and even if it's, even if I get somebody that's already a powerlifter and they just want kind of programming and a little bit of technique tweaks, I'll always strip everything right back to start off with. So we'll, I'll always start at the most regressed version of the exercise. Um, and for them, they'll obviously skim through it real quick because if they're used to barbell squatting, we'll start with a, literally a bodyweight squat. I'll just assess how that looks. Yep. And I'll just say to them, look, I just wanna see how you warm up. Um, but really that warm up is just me kind of assessing where the movement is. So they jump in, they do a couple of bodyweight squats. I'll have a look at it and say, okay, great. If that passes, um, I'll say, right, okay, let's add a goblet squat into it. This is the second part of the warm up. Um, so I'm just assessing how they, how they move through that. So I'll take them from a bodyweight squat, then we'll progress through the progressions. I might go to like a goblet squat. Um, from the goblet squat, then we'll maybe move them onto the barbell if everything looks good. Um, we'll start with an empty barbell to see how that moves. If everything looks good, then we'll just get them into the usual routine. But I like to really strip it right back and start with the, the bare minimum first. Sure. Um, because if there's an issue with a bodyweight squat, you know there's sure as hell going to be an issue with a 200 kilo squat. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, you really need to just kind of look um, and see because I've, I've seen guys, um, I've seen videos of guys who do squat, you know, double body weight upwards, 
And I'm just looking at it thinking, man, how are you not injured already? Um, so just bringing it right back to that basics of just body weight and saying, right, okay, you know, you've got a little bit of an imbalance there at body weight. So that's just going to be exacerbated by the time you hit that double body weight squat. So we need to kind of fix this little area and then we pick the exercises to correct that. Um, and then over time, then that starts to become a little bit safer and better for them. So regardless, I think of, you know, the level of the client, I always like to strip them right back to basics. Um, if they're already quite a high level lifter, they're just going to skim through it and we use it as a warm up. Um, but it's also a, an opportunity to see if there are areas that you can kind of fine tune or tweak just to make that squat feel a little bit smoother or better for them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right. So assuming someone has no issues or no yep. big issues, right? Yeah. <clears throat> if they're general pup, right? So they're not training for powerlifting meat, yep. in, you know, in particular. Yeah. What is your, what do you think is the most effective yep. lower body exercise? Oh, I, like, um, I, 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 got my, I got my one in mind. Yeah. Um, for gem pop, I'm a big fan of trap bar deadlifts. Oh, <laughs> I just did, yeah. <laughs> We're just so on the same page, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, either there's two things for me at the minute. I'm huge on sled push. Yeah. Um, like heavy sled pushes because you can really load up the legs hard. You can push them heavy. It's a very safe exercise. There's no spinal load. There's minimal spinal loading. Um, it doesn't really require a lot of mobility to get into the the right position. Um, you know, it's very, very good for you, especially obviously like the rugby scrum position. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a very safe exercise that you can load hard and heavy um, and you don't have to really worry too much about um, core strength being the limiting factor. Um, it's really just heavily focused on the legs. So either a very heavy sled push um, or trap bar deadlift just seems to be a very safe and well-rounded exercise that clients can get into a good position. The shape of the trap bar makes it a much safer deadlift on the spine. Um, you can have a little bit of margin of, of error in the movement and the setup, and it's not really going to throw you out of position too no, much. Yeah. Um, I think stiff bar is very unforgiving. Um, so you kind of need to really have a decent skill set to get into the right position. Mm. Um, and there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, so yeah, I think the trap bar is just a much safer option. Oh, I think we're definitely on the same page. I yeah. love the trap bar. I use it all the time. Or maybe yeah. I'm saving up for the Chris Duffin's new new version of the trap oh, bar. Sick. There, it's pretty cool. But uh, oh, is that is that the little kind of like half one that he's got? It's the half one that you yeah, can just you, that. you can push it up and itself. Yeah, it's it got the little. The yeah, that's yeah, sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, no, I think the trap bar is great. It sort of like bridges <clears> the uh, the difference between your squat and your deadlift. Yes. Right. Yeah, so yeah. you're not going quite as low as a normal deadlift. The yeah. weight's not out in front of you like a, you know normal. Yep. De well, you, you know positioning wise. Positioning wise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a really good one. And then just so much muscle activation as well. Everything. Yep. Basically, apart from your chest and maybe a little bit of triceps, is uh, yeah. is working every, every muscle. All of your pulling yeah, muscles, I absolutely. guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Of working course. really hard. Awesome. So, in terms of your own training. Yep. All right. Yep. Uh, how do you like to train? I know you recently did your powerlifting meet. Yeah. Finally, man. It's only taken me like 10, 15 years to get to it. Um, so I've trained. I've pretty much trained that way my whole life. I've always, I guess, you go through the beginner stages when you become a PT and you experiment and you do dumb shit. Can I say shit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you do dumb shit. You just see stuff on bodybuilding.com, bodybuilding mags. You try this, you try that. You learn and eventually you kind of find your niche. Um, <clears throat> and for me, it was just strength training, man. There was just something about that kind of low rep range that just really done it for me. Um, I still love that we just spoke a minute ago about the high volume work. Like I st <laughs> I'm still a big fan of it. I've got that inner volume. bro just in there that just yeah. wants to chase that pump. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of strength training. And, you know, I, I try to get as long as it's safe for my general pop clients as well. Um, I always try to put them through like strength training based work. Um, I've just seen the impact that it's had on me both mentally and, and physically, because I think it's just such a challenge. And, you know, you get up, you walk under a heavy squat bar, man, it's just as much mental challenge as it is physical. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's a, I've always been kind of, after I went through that beginner's learning stages, I kind of find strength training and I always I always start the session with a big lift. I've always got some sort of heavy barbell in there. So it's depending on the, the training phase that I'm in. So I try to periodize my year. Um, I, love, I love doing powerlifting blocks. I'll probably run like a three to four month powerlifting block maybe once to twice a year. Um, but I find it just, it, by the end of that, my body just feels pretty beat up. Um, so um, I just finished that powerlifting uh, meet at Richie's there about a month or two ago. Um, so I'm kind of back into more high volume stuff at the minute, which is good fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, like it's, but yeah, always, always barbell work. Um, yeah. I've always been a massive fan of um, squat, deadlift, bench, um, just your traditional kind of old school style training. Um, and even now and again, I'll throw in some bro work. I'll do a bit of arms, a bit of shoulders, um, because I think it's important as well. A lot of, just from working and seeing a lot of powerlifters um, train out of the gym that I work in, 
they're very specialized and that's great, but you've got to remember that you still need that foundation of structural balance. If you don't have that structural balance, um, you're going to, you know, like I say, you're going to hit that plateau at some point and you're going to be let down by either core strength, maybe shoulder stability, hip strength. Um, those muscles that aren't really isolated or targeted as well with a, with a barbell, um, you still need to be throwing in some of that, you know, quote unquote bro work. Um, because it definitely has a massive carryover into your lifts. Um, so I think it's, it's important to still do the bro work, um, but the bread and butter of your program should generally always be some just real heavy, solid barbell traditional work. Yeah, no, that's, I agree with that with the, for the most part. Mm. I think instead of just having to do bro work though as well, yep. um, having a bit of a background through uh, Strongman, yep. um, geez, yep. I, t I tell you what, yep. try putting a, a log overhead yeah, if you have sure. poor shoulder stability. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, so sure. I think, um, I think <clears throat> you didn't hit the nail on the head, whereas um, if you are only training really specialized, yep. um, you, you miss out, uh, not all your stabilizing muscles are working, not all yep. of your, you might not have, people say functional strength all the time, which yeah, yeah. is kind of an annoying term, yeah, yeah, but for sure. um, you might not have that strength. Yeah. I, I think that um, why strongman training is so good mm. um, is because it's about picking up heavy weights and moving with them, yes. or yeah. trying to pick up heavy weights in an awkward position or a compromised position, and, yes. and still do it safely, yep. uh, but, but that th that is a real sort of strength that is mm. unmatched when it comes yep. to a, a static lift. I yep. think, in, in my opinion, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that as well. Like, that's that's one thing that is missing from a lot of, like you say, barbell programs. It's you're just fixed in one plane. That's it. So as soon as you add lateral movement or rotation or you know anything that isn't in that kind of straightforward plane, right. um, that's when you've got to get the challenge of stability and flexibility as well. Um, so yeah, coming from the strongman side of things that makes 100% sense yeah 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 sure. no. have you ever put a heavy yoke on the shoulders and gone for a walk I have um, we've got a yoke done at Genesis yeah um, man it's fucking tough yeah yeah, they <laughs> yeah are, it's good they're heavy they're, yeah they are they're, they're good um, what about in terms of all right not talking about strongman um, I'm not sure what the full setup is like uh, yep. at Genesis yep. um, do you have a lot of sort of fun toys that you can play with to break up the monotony of training so yep. uh, bands chains yeah like, like my home setup I've got um, I've got some chains some bands some real heavy ass dead balls um, and a trap bar as well just to do some farmers heavy farmers carries um, we've got farmers carry handles at the gym in Genesis as well and some yokes yep. um, so yeah like for me that's that's cardio like traditional cardio of treadmill bike rowing machine i'd rather literally I'd rather bang my head against this table um so for me cardio is you gotta have fun man it's got to be something that you enjoy doing as well yeah um because it is an important part you know cardio can help um your high volume work and your overall work capacity so there is a time and a place for it um and i think you know have fun when you do it either go and play a sport or you know have fun with some like heavy heavy dead balls or heavy mm. heavy atlas stones if you've got access to them um i do a lot of chain work i like i just like having a bit of fun every now and again um but Obviously, that's more in the earlier stages of the programming where the variety can be there. Um, if you're programming for like a powerlifting meet or something and the specificity needs to be quite high yeah. towards the back end of the program, um, I don't really do as much of that kind of stuff. But definitely in the early stages, um, I'm a big fan of the safety squat bar because my shoulders get pretty tight with um, low bar Rotator squatting. Rotator cuff work? Um, yeah, just, just the internal rotation, very, yeah. very tight for pecs. Um, so I tend to find if I try to do... The limit I can do is two low bar sessions a week. If yeah. I do any more than that, then I finally get a bit of tendonitis. Um, whereas I can throw in a third session if it's a safety squat bar. Um, so I'm a huge fan of using safety squat bar as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you saw when you came in, I've just got the new addition, the belt squat got, in the, yeah, in the gym. Sick, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> but at the moment, I'm actually using safety squat bars for my squats. Yep. And cool. uh, and I think similar reasons. Not so much that my shoulders get too tight. My shoulder mobility is yep. not actually that bad. Yep. Um, but Coming off, uh, I finished uh, quite a few months of, of heavy heavy lifting, leading yep. up to some 1RM testing. Yeah. And uh, and like I mentioned, uh, I'm into the volume blocks now, which is God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> new killer. territory. For it's the worst. I just I get to rep six, and then they just stick done, like glue done. done. But you got to keep pushing through to ten or twelve. It's like, yeah. Oh my God. I love that. Man. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's where we differ. But uh, it's it's been good, um, and I, I do feel like my capacity for work is really increasing. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure. really hoping that's going to carry over nicely when I get back into the next. Um, strength block yep. but I, I took a big step away from all of my standard big three lifts so mm. basically uh, the squat I turned into a safety bar squat yep. so it's still very similar movement yep. um, it's a little different doing the movement just because the weight is distributed differently it's a bit more like a high bar as well I yeah, find. Do, you, exactly. do you low bar normally? Uh, it depends on if I'm if I'm going for a max you know yep. 
parallel squad I'll, I'll low it's not not even low low yeah okay i'm sort of like middle but halfway between high yeah, and low yeah, yeah. yeah i yeah. definitely don't go into the really really deep position yeah um i just find that it forces me just too far forward um yeah, yeah I, I like to have it sort of a, more of a moderate yeah. um, position um i changed my normal deadlifts over for trap bar deadlifts yeah. um and bench i'm just throwing a lot of variations into bench so we are still doing a standard bench but we're also doing a lot of dumbbell work um, getting the Swiss bar out yep. and then doing some fun variations like the chains. Bands, it's important as well, man. Like, you know, specificity is great when you're, when you're training for a goal. Yep. Um, but when you just come out of the back end of something like you did and like I did, it's just, it's so nice to just have that variety back in your training because it, it gets exciting again. You know, it's doing things that you haven't done for a while. So mentally, the mental stimulation side of thing is good. And also, like we talked about as well, the actual physical benefits you get from it as well, from just changing the movements into variations, you're just challenging yourself in new ways to spark off a little bit of new growth. So I think it's it's definitely important. And yeah, like I say, mostly the mental aspect is just fun to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things that I like to sort of try to incorporate are a few more mm. fun variations. Yep. And particularly if someone's not going for a you know, specific angle. I need to get this bench yeah. press yeah, at yeah, this yeah. competition. Yeah. Let's have some fun with it. And I actually have one mm. client, and uh, he'll know who he is if he's lifting, but his goal was to hit yeah. a 100 kilo bench press. Yeah. All right. And we, we started a fair bit under the 100 kilo mark. Right. Yeah. So, all right, 100 kilo, any middle aged guy as well. Yeah. So, not in the peak of his, you know, hormone levels and everything like that, but yeah. um, but still plenty of room for improvement. And mm. we were getting closer and closer and closer, and, and we were at it for. Probably about a year and a half, and we yeah. finally got there. We finally got there, and he's like, "All right, next goal, 110." I said, yeah. "I said, that's great. Yeah. Put that in the back pocket. <laughs> We're going to get the 110. Yeah. But before that, I'm going to give you eight weeks. We're not touching Let's that bench yeah, press. Yeah, if you use a break, he's like, but I really don't want to lose it. You're not going to lose it. We're going to do dumbbells. We're going to do Swiss bar. We're going yeah. to do some fun variations, and uh, for sure. and, and just try to give you bench press without giving stimulus. you bench press. Yeah, absolutely, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've been um, using a lot of is accommodating resistance recently. Yep. Um, yeah. Really enjoying it. And I think it has so many benefits and mm. I don't know how much work you've done with it. Um, yep. For people listening, accommodating resistance, you can do it in a lot of different ways. You can set it up with chains, with bands, um, things like the slingshot when you're bench pressing. Yep. Um, but essentially you're changing the weight of whatever you're lifting during, during the, the movement yeah. of the lift. Yeah. So if chains, for an example, if you're um, just imagine you're squatting um, and as you squat towards the ground, the chains bundle up on the floor. So however heavy your chains are, um, in the case here, I have two 40 kilo strands from my squats. When you're down at the bottom, you're about 80 kilos less than you yep. are when you're standing. At the top. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, people ask, well, what's the point of doing that? Um, and a few reasons, a few yep. points. So I guess the three big ones or the, a handful of the big ones are a lot of times when you're lifting, um, you can sort of coast through on the back end of your lift. If you get yep. through that sticking point at the bottom, yeah, um, the top is usually pretty easy. Yeah. When you're doing accommodating resistance, generally, as you're standing up or as you're locking out your bench press, more and more weight's lifting up. So you have to actually have to actively Continue drive. Yeah. You, can't, you yeah. can't stop that movement. So you gain yeah. that um, good rate of force development. Yep. Um, uh, another thing is that you are getting your body used to handling just a huge amount of um, a weight or a weight that's a lot higher than what you generally would have on your shoulders yep. because you can get out of that tougher bottom position. So yep. let's say you can squat 100 kilos. Um, when we're down at the ground, you might only have 60 kilos on the back, but when yep. you're standing up, now you have 140 kilos on the back. Yeah, for and if sure. you want to overload your muscles, as yep. long as you've got the stability to be able to support that weight, yep. it's a fantastic way to do it. So, um, and it's fun. There's nothing like doing mm. a, a squat with... 80 kilos with a chain looks, hanging it up. Looks it, it looks cool. It looks really cool. It looks cool. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it, um, it, it's a really good way to get that rate of force development and, and, yep. and, um, and just mix things up a little bit. For sure. Any, um, any fun things that you like to implement in your, uh, in your yeah, training or with clients? Very similar. Um, so I've, in my home setup, um, not, not so much with clients. I do, I do if I've got a client that's quite, you know, specialized. So there may be a powerlifter. With Gen Pop, I tend to find you don't really need to do it as much. It is a bit of fun. Um, but especially at home, I've got a similar kind of setup with bands and chains. Um, so I've got about 50 kgs worth of, of chains. I love it uh, exactly for the same reasons that you said. It takes advantage of that strength curve. So when you get stronger, you can actually take advantage of that strength and then push harder through that. Um, or you can work on developing weak points as well, depending on the setup that you've got. Sure. Um, but I think one thing just to mention on it as well is it does have its drawbacks. Like neurally, it's very taxing. Yeah. Um, so just obviously because if you're, like you say, you're, you're wondering max is 100 kgs, all of a sudden you're squatting 140 kgs at a certain point in the range. Um, just your nervous system is going to be shot. So I think just using it sparringly um, and use it in, you know, programming it intelligently is, is very important as well. So not, <clears throat> excuse me, 
uh, not coming in and doing like three sessions a week with heavy chains. Oh yeah, heavy no, absolutely not. Like, yeah, once a week. Yeah, that's it. Tops, you gotta, yeah. So yeah, nervous system wise, it's it's very taxing, but it's it's like you said, it's a great tool. Um, and if you've got somebody that's got the experience um, that can handle it, it's it's a wicked. It's just good fun, man. Like you said, it's who doesn't like squatting with like chains on the side of the bar? It looks bad. That's right. It looks very cool. Yeah. it looks very cool. If you like the idea of, yep. of trying this accommodating resistance, yep. one thing that that you have to do mm. is still program in a lift where you're lifting heavy at the bottom. Yep. So uh, if you were doing, yeah, if yeah. you're doing chain bench press yep. and you're like, I don't understand why I'm not improving, I'm doing mm. this chain bench press where I'm holding 20% more than my max at the top every time. Yep. Remember, you're holding 20% less than your max at, at the, the bottom. bottom. And if yeah, you never sure. train off the chest, yep. then you're gonna have issues getting that movement started. For sure. So again, that's part about just training, training <clears throat> smart. So yep. um, you know, play around with the exercises. Yep. But if you're gonna do something like that, make sure you're still working on what you're negating during that lift. Yep, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, what about <clears throat> when it comes to programming for, yep. for yourself or for your clients? Do you yep. basically, like to run them through basically set blocks, um, you know, templated in your head, or, yep. or is it a very individual thing? How do you like to go about it? Yeah, it's, so for me, it's it's a very individualized process. So I've got like a questionnaire um, that I've designed over the years. Um, flick that out to the client. They'll fill it in. They give me their feedback, uh, their information. Sorry, and then I'll take that information um, and develop a program based around what their, their set goal is. Um, so you know, I've got people that I work with with powerlifters. I've got a lot of Gen Pop clients. I tend to find with um, with gem pop clients, I don't ever really program them any more than four week blocks. Um, I just find that just trying to get a, a client to be compliant for four weeks. You know, if you got somebody that you're programming them for four days a week for four weeks, chances are they're going to miss a day here, they're going to miss a day there. So you know, they end up repeating weeks, and it takes them like six, seven, eight weeks to complete a four week program. Yeah. Um, so I think with gem pop, it's a little bit different. But if I've got um, I've got quite a few girls that I prep for powerlifting comps. I've got a couple of guys. Um, that are prepped for powerlifting comps. Um, I've got one of my girls actually tested at the weekend, just um, yesterday, sorry. Um, and I've got another girl who's competing in the APU tomorrow. Um, so for them, it's it's nice because you know that they're very focused on the training and it's it's a high priority for them. So I'll usually, um, usually program them in, you know, eight, 12, 16, 20 week blocks. Um, and then that's broken down into blocks of um, so shorter mesocycles of maybe four weeks at a time. So they'll have a, a four week um, mesocycle where maybe they're focusing on high volume. Then we transition into maybe more kind of relative strength. And then eventually we transition into more peak strength. Um, my, I do a lot of research on programming. I know that you're the same. It's, I'm a massive nerd when it comes to programming, yeah. man. It's like, it's like my niche, I love it. Um, so I get really excited about programming stuff. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, juggernaut training systems. Yeah. Um, so Chad Wesley Smith, I follow a lot of his stuff. Um, Mike Isretel. Um, so a lot of kind of evidence. Doctor Mike Isretel. Doctor Mike Isretel. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of really like evidence-based things, and you know it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be over the top fancy. Basics work, um, and it's it's kind of like you know barbell squat is basic. It's a basic movement. Don't try to stand in a bolster and do it. Um, just stick to the basics that have been proven because to work. Because someone told you it was functional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just, um, yeah, like programming, like I say, it's just a, a generalized structure. I've got systems that I've developed myself. Um, so, you know, looking at clients' relative weaknesses um, to see whether they're, you know, back dominant strength or whether they're leg dominant strength and then programming based around their strengths and weaknesses. Um, but yeah, like I said, man, I've, I could talk all day about programming. It's such a nerd when it comes to yeah. It. Yeah, uh, I think one of the, the tricky points that I do have with some <clears> clients <throat> is that um, you know if they're not training for something in you know in particular, they just yep. want to stay healthy and fit. Yep. Um, is that they don't like to do the same thing over and over again. Definitely. Whereas you'll yeah. you'll speak to a high end athlete and they'll just do what, what you tell do them to tell do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. will do the same thing yeah. every day until you tell them to do something else and they're happy yeah. to do it because they know it's going to get those goals. Because yeah. some people are like I don't want to. They'll train three four times a week with me. Yeah. I don't want to do the same exercise twice in in that week. Yeah. For you know? sure. Or be, or, or be like well, this is the same thing. What we're going here, you know. Yeah. yeah it can yeah. be a little tricky sometimes to try to explain Definitely. the benefits of you know of actually working and improving a certain movement. Yeah. Um. But. That aside, yep. I think that programming, um, like you said, is a really sort of personalized and individual thing. Yep. Um, one of the things that I've been uh, able to work with in the last handful of years is with a few masters level um, yep. powerlifters. Yep. So I had um, Denise, one of my clients, who I think she was close to 16 Australian yeah, records. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Oceana that. records, so, yeah, yeah, Commonwealth yeah. records. Yeah. Um, 
And then now just more recently, my dad, who's 72, yeah. he's got three out of the four Australian records. I've been following his progress, GTC. man. That's he's sick. He's doing well. Yeah, that's um, sick. And now both master's level um, lifters. athletes, lifters, yep. right? Um, completely different when it comes to programming. Yep. Completely different. Yeah. And then I look at young guys who are, or younger guys who are, you know, first grade rugby players, mm. um, but still I train them in a very much a powerlifting style base to get yep. those, that, that strength. Those, those strength up. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and when we're doing our strength block. So mm. similar to how you said, we like to go, or I like to go a general specific, uh, uh, sorry, phase. a general phase GPP first. phase, yeah. Yep. Um, then we go into a bit more of a strength specific phase. Yep. And then we have a little peaking right at the end there. Yep. And then of course there's deload weeks thrown in and everything like that. And yeah, there's niggles, we have to work around that. Yeah. Um, what I found is with the master's level athletes is that I have to, for my dad, for an example, his peaking phase or strength specific phase yep. is so short. Yeah, okay. Because if I do it for more than two weeks, burned out. completely burnt yeah, out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Just, just completely shattered. Yeah. Um, even though he has the ability to do the weights, mm. it's just we'll have really rough weeks. We learned it pretty, pretty early on. Yep. Um, whereas uh, my female master level athlete, mm. um, we could keep right up that top range for, for quite a long time, and there yep. wasn't any burnout. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, that's because in general. Um, what I found with my clients is that yeah. the female athletes, um, their one they RMs, tolerate volume well, so their well. volume is, is yeah. really quite close to their one, two, three RMs. For sure. Whereas yeah. um, with guys, their one RMs tend to be quite a, a bit higher. Yeah, I've noticed the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, and so so you you're dealing with two people <clears throat> that are both in completely the same different. masters, but completely different when it comes to programming. You've got to sure. keep one really quite general into yeah. the last handful of weeks, and then really short peak, and then yeah. somebody we we work in specific a long time because yep. uh, she they can, can handle, handle that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. I think, yeah, I think um, I've noticed the exact same thing with especially females, man. They just, they recover faster. Their volume is generally a lot more than what guys can, can tolerate. And like you say, their, you know, five rep max isn't really that far off what the one rep max is. Whereas guys, there's probably quite a big discrepancy between the five. Yeah, there's a big jump between the five rep and one rep max. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing I really like about, um, I got a book from Juggernaut Training Systems, the programming guide. Yeah. Um, and very, very interesting. They go into a lot of uh, Mike Israel's kind of MRV, MAV, um, the maximum adaptive, maximum recoverable volume model. Right. Are, you, are you aware of that? Yeah, yeah. I've listened yeah. to his, uh, his stuff through the Juggernaut. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so um, like I said, I think I follow, follow a lot of the Juggernaut stuff in terms of program design. Um, so yeah, their, their model is, you know, you completely assess your athlete and their, their training background. So you look at their, their quality of nutrition, their quality of sleep, um, their actual training background itself. Um, their age, whether it's male or female, because they, the variables are quite different. So like you say, if you've got a 110 kilo male lifter versus a 55 kg female lifter, the amount of volume that they can tolerate is going to be very different. So, you know, if you get a 110 kg male lifter that's squatting 200 and, you know, double body weight for reps, that's a lot of tax on the nervous system. Whereas if you've got a 55 kg female lifter that's maybe lifting the same percentage of weight, it's not going to be as taxing. They generally tend to recover a lot faster. Yeah. So I think that speaks you know, volumes exactly like you were saying about your dad and, and the girl that you trained. Um, so you really do have to take every individual as an individual. You can't just have like a, a template approach and just say, okay, this worked for one person, it's going to work for somebody else. Right. It's extremely, you know, it's, it's the complete opposite. You've got to treat every single person. Some people have high stress lives, that's going to affect how they recover. Some people have got pretty shit nutrition, that's going to obviously massively impact how they recover. So the, the, way, you, the way you program for somebody really has to be individualized otherwise it's just guesswork and you're doing a disservice to your clients no it's a hundred percent agree so yeah. like i said i like to have that basic <clears throat> template of structure yep. and then just warp it to, to fit them. however that person needs to, sure. to train yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. absolutely yeah i think it's yeah it's a huge part variables <coughs> excuse me um yeah variables in lift are a huge part of building um weak points um so one of the i was actually on the juggernaut program for a while i don't know if you've have you seen they've got like an artificial intelligence model that they've released? One of my clients is on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wicked, man. Week I, by week. Yeah. Yep. So I, I ran that as my comp prep. I just thought, I usually program for myself and I just thought, you know what, this time I just want to kind of not have to think about it, just come into the gym and do it. Um, I saw that they had this program and I was like, looked interesting. Um, but yeah, one of the main things they do is they take, um, and this is something that I learned from my programming as well, they take your lifts um, and they assess at what point of the lift that you're weak. And then obviously you're, 
um, assistance exercises are best around your weak points. So exactly like you say, if you're doing heavy at the top end of the rep, um, you want to make sure you're still hitting like maybe pause reps at the bottom Some to heavy build rack press or heavy rack. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just to build that bottom end strength too. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. So uh, dolls for you. <clears throat> the next ten to thirteen years. Yeah. Until we do the next podcast. What's the, uh, <laughs> what's the plans? Oh man, um, I don't know. I've just recently recently employed a member of staff. Um, so he's he's coming through like an apprenticeship model for twelve um, the next twelve months. Um, I don't really know, man. I gotta I gotta set myself some goals. So I'm working. I reckon I'll get into the more teaching side of things um, once I get to the point where I'm over the 5.30 a.m. starts. Um, 5.30? Yeah. Wait, my time. start at 4.45, three oh, days away. Yeah. Man, that's, that's early. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I think 10 years worth of, 10 plus years worth of 5.30 starts starts to become a bit of a grind. But um, yeah, like at the minute, um, I'm teaching for the Trainers WA. We run workshops pretty much all around Perth. Um, I love that, man. It's, it's, it's really exciting and it's just good fun to get out there and, and run workshops and seminars. And it keeps me on my toes as well because it makes me research more. Um, so then my knowledge starts to become even greater because I'm putting more time into the, the educational side of it from my perspective. I think that's the um, same with everything. Um, when I started coaching rugby, yep. my own game changed because oh, you have to think about it from a different aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so I reckon that's probably the, the side I'll eventually go down. But at the minute, um, like I said, this apprenticeship that I've got with this um, guy Tom that's just started to work for me he's, he's killing it at the minute um, so I'm going to try to eventually get a few more apprentices under under my business name um, grow that a little bit so that I can maybe step off the gas with having to be on the gym floor myself and then I can maybe put a little bit more time into the the teaching kind of side of things because like I said man it's, it's just such good fun and it's good to know that if I've got a platform where I can teach 10, 15, 20, 30 personal trainers then they've got an outreach of maybe 30 or 40 clients each instead of me teaching one person on a one-to-one -one basis and teaching 10, 15, 20 people who are then teaching 30, 40, 50 people. Um, so that information and that knowledge is getting shared and hopefully that'll create a better, kind of a better industry standard because you know yourself, the industry, it's not, um, I don't know how do I put this properly? It's good at pumping out people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good at pumping out PTs, um, but the quality of PTs out there can be very shoddy at times, and there's, yeah, no, we... there's no regulations, there's nobody that oversees it, and you know, general pop clients don't know any better. They go to this personal trainer, the personal trainer done an eight-week or 12-week course, they don't have much of a background, they're giving them bullshit information, um, so it's, that's where I like to come in and say, look, this is, this is what has been proven to work, this is science-based, this is, um, you know, we've got evidence to say that this works, try this um, and then they can take that to their clients and it, like I say it's lifting the standard of the industry fantastic yeah that's sure. great cool. awesome well look Chris thanks very much for coming on I appreciate no it it's been a good catching awesome. up with you thanks, as well thanks man it was good to be here excellent cool. cool thanks very much awesome